the 100 Years' War to the Giesclin period. Owen of Wales and the French on the move in 1372. On May the 10th, 1372, Owen of Wales issued his manifesto in Paris announcing his ambitions to his people and incidentally to his English enemies. Quote, Whereas the kings of England have in the past moved by intemperance and greed wrongly and without cause, treacherously killed or put to death my forebearers, the kings of Wales, and expelled them by force from their kingdom, and subjected a kingdom that in rightly is mine as their lineal descendant and the closest blood relation. I have petitioned various Christian kings, declaring my right and humbly beseeching their help. Lately I came before my most powerful and most well-regarded Lord Charles, by the grace of God, King of France, and the Dauphin of Vienne, and showed him my right. And he, taking pity on my estate and considering the great wrong that the kings of England have done to me and my forebearers, that the present king still does to me, has supported me with his men-at-arms and ships to recover my kingdom. End of quote. The French king, according to Owen, had already committed himself to an expenditure of 300,000 francs on men-at-arms, archers, shipping, and equipment to support his venture, which was to be repaid from the revenues of Wales after the conquest. But the contrast between this grandiose declaration and the meager forces at Owen's disposal was striking. In addition to his own company, now 200 strong, Owen had been given a French company of 165 men under one of Charles V's chamberlains, Morlet de Montmore, and a fleet of eight galleys and four barges, under the command of Montesquieu Admiral Renier Grimaldi. In the last week of May, 1372, Owen of Wales' tiny force sailed for Castile from Harfleur. They rounded the Contine Peninsula, turned south, and fell on Guernsey at the mouth at the end of the month. Landing their whole force near St. Peter Port, Guernsey was ill-prepared for an invasion. Castle Cornet, the most substantial place on the island, was in an appalling state of disrepair, its towers falling in and the gates, portcullises, and drawbridges all broken. Beauregard was a modern keep at the southeast of the town, which had already recently been constructed as a refuge. Both had nominal garrisons in 1372. It was necessary to get help from Jersey. Sir Edmund Rose had just taken over as captain of Gorey Castle on Jersey, and the strongest fortification in the Channel Islands. He crossed urgently to Guernsey with his garrison. He also brought 80 men borrowed from the company of St. Sauveur, who were increasingly used as a reserve of manpower to support England's military ventures in western France. Rose led his troops against the invaders, supported by 800 islanders. About five miles from St. Peter Port, they suffered a bloody defeat. Much of the island army was killed. Rose fled from the field with the survivors and took refuge in the ruins of Castle Cornet. Here he defied Owen's army in spite of the dilapidated state of the defenses until they withdrew to their ships and continued on their voyage. In the meantime, a highly effective softening up operation was in progress in the march of Pitou. Bertrand de Guisclin and the Duke of Bourbon had established their headquarters since the end of March in the fortress of Chinon on the northern march of Poitou. They commanded a raiding force of about 1,000 men-at-arms and a company of Genoese crossbowmen. They also had a large French garrison on the northern march at Chantourault and Rouchet-le-Posse to draw on. 
The geese can then launch the rapid raids over great distances, which had become characteristic of his military method. The first of them, up the river valleys to the eastern march of Pitsu, was conducted with such speed that the troops were unable either to forage or feed themselves properly and lost many of their horses. This campaign left the French in control of all the major rivers crossing into Poitou from the east except for the Chauvigny. Bertrand de Guisquelin's purpose was as much diplomatic as military. His agents and those of the Duc de Berry had been active in Poitou for several months, making emolument offers in return for promises of submission. The Poitvin nobility rejected his approaches to a man, but the towns, which had never been as committed to the prince, were not so sure. Poitiers was left increasingly exposed by the French conquests in the Eastern March. The city was divided between two parties, whose relative strength fluctuated with the military situation. The mayor, Jean Renault, and the officers of the city and the richest citizens were loyal to the prince, but most churchmen and some of the leading merchants openly declared their preference for the king of France. By now, they were probably supported by most of the population. Pending the arrival of the Earl of Pembroke from England, the defense of Aquitaine was in the hands of Jean Grely, Cap de Bush, and the Seneschal of Bordeaux, Sir Thomas Felton. The Cap took command of the military operation and had many advantages for the task. His family had never wavered in the support of the English dynasty, even in the darkest days of the 1330s. He was a soldier of courage and experience with a European reputation. He had been formed in the School of Gascon Companies of the 1350s. Like many of his contemporaries, he was not a particularly skillful strategist or field commander, but he also had very few troops at his disposal, a few hundred at most, and those probably unpaid. His main problem was the uncertainty of the loyalty of the towns, which made it necessary to detach large numbers of men to serve in the four main garrisons at Poitiers, Thouars, Niort, and La Rochelle. The Cap's response to the French raids of spring was probably, understandably, to sit tight in the walled towns and castles until the promised subsidies arrived from England and the conservative strength for the main French assault, which was known to be in preparation. In June of 1372, the constable sent Olivier de Clisson to lay siege to Montcouture, and now the only significant English garrison north of Poitiers, while he and the Duc de Berry conducted a powerful military demonstration beneath the city walls. Montcouture was held by Sir John Cresswell with a garrison of 60 mainly English troops, the prospect of losing it sufficiently serious to provoke the English into attempting its relief. When Bertrand de Guisquelin and Louis Bourbon prowling outside of Poitiers, the relief had to be attempted from New York and the only other large garrison which was close enough. Walter Spridlington, captain of Newart, managed to collect a field force of several hundred men and briefly established a counter-siege at Montcouture. Shortly after this, the French launched a ferocious assault on the castle. Once they had carried the outer bailey, Cresswell sued for terms. His men were allowed to withdraw with their arms, but not their booty, to Poitiers. The capture became known for a famous incident which illustrated the notorious prickliness of the low-born constable about his chivalric reputation. One of the garrison had taunted him during the siege for fighting against the prince when it was wrongly alleged his ransom from the Battle of Nigera remained unpaid. This man disgraced Bertrand's arms by hanging them upside down from the battlements. When he fell into the constable's hands after the fall of the outer bailey, he was hanged from the walls with his helmet around his neck. 
In about the second week of June 1372, the Earl of Pembroke sailed out of Plymouth for La Rochelle. He was accompanied by Sir John Devereux and a number of Gascon notables. They brought with them a treasury of 12,000 pounds in cash, enough to pay the projected army of 3,000 men for more than four months. Considering the importance of Pembroke's mission and the information that the English government now had about the strength of the enemy forces at sea, Pembroke's forces were extraordinarily vulnerable. Foissart says that there were about 14 ships, which is consistent with other evidence. Most of them were quite small. The requisitioning orders had insisted that the vessels assigned to Pembroke should not exceed 50 tons burden. An escort was provided of just three large fighting ships with built-up towers. To defend these vessels, Pembroke had 80 English men-at-arms and 80 archers, plus the Gascon notables and their companies, and a small company charged with guarding the cash. Fewer than 200 men in all, he plainly did not expect to encounter more than pirates on his route. So the reinforcements, or a small portion of them, are on their way to Aquitaine. We'll see if they actually get there next time. Now the sources for this... The Hundred Years' War, Foissart's Chronicles by Foissart, Hundred Years' War by Perrois, Hundred Years' War by Nylans, and the Hundred Years' War, Volume 3, House Divided by Sumption. So I hope you enjoyed that, and as always, don't forget to come by the website, summahistorica.com or historyaccordingtobob.com, and ask a question, leave a comment, check out our merchandise, and if you like what we're doing, please feel free to support us. Thank you very much.